You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And as a matter of housekeeping, I just wanted to give a shout out to you guys, our dear listeners from the airwaves. And also for those of you listening to us via Internet Land, Topia, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Uh, but more importantly, just want to thank you guys for tuning in week after week, being a part of this show as it continues to grow and get more traction. We can't do it without you. So much appreciation to all of you. And so if you're looking to connect with us more and more, you can find us on www.snarkyfaith.com. You can go to Facebook backslash Snarky Faith. It's just that easy. Or you can find us on Twitter. Same idea. Twitter backslash, what is it again? Huh? Huh? What is it? That's right, it's Snarky Faith. Uh, That was an easy pop quiz to start off the show. And so what I wanted to do is give you a little snapshot of where we were going to be going over this next hour, kind of taking this from the perspective of, hey, we've got the shallow end. You know, the area where you like to just dip those toesies in Uh, And it progresses all the way to the deep end type conversations. And remember, I will have no running on the side of the pool. We may have to pull out the lifeguard whistle if that's going on. No tomfoolery around here whatsoever, especially on a show called Snarky Faith. Uh, So some of the some of the shallow end, which you may laugh at even the mention of this being a shallow end would be our nightmare scenario that happens this coming Friday, otherwise known as the presidential inauguration. We'll, we'll dip our toes into that just a little bit, and as we start to get into the deeper dive, we'll hop in on a little topic. It, it's something that's kind of, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's something that's kind of baffled me in my faith walk ever since I was, was a kid, was was this one thing, and, and, and you'd hear people talk about it, you'd hear people go on and on about it, support this this one area, and I always just found it to be incredibly bizarre. And as this, our deeper end segment that we'll get into, uh, may be one of those things that may create a little bit of ire amongst some of you out there. And so I invite the conversation. Uh, through the course of this, my whole goal will be really to ask more questions than to actually prove a point or to say this is right or wrong. But that topic being that I want to hop in with will be what is Christianity's obsession with Israel? This whole that we're a Christian nation, we have to stand behind Israel for whatever the heck they want to do. Does it make sense? What's the history behind it? All that kind of good stuff. We'll hop into that and then we'll kind of find ourselves landing uh, off that diving board at the end, talking a little bit about Dr. Martin Luther King. How's that sound? 
for you boys and girls. How's that sound for a show set up? I think it's a good one. And uh, let's just go ahead and hop in. So starting off the show, I wanted to start this off with a new segment that we're going to be bringing here to the show. And here's how it's going to work. The new segment is going to be called, or I guess if I'm giving it to you now, it's not going to be called anything. It actually is this. We're, go- we're going to have this this segment recurring on the website and also here on the radio called What's Good, What's Bad. And it's really going to chronicle things that have occurred out there over the interwebs over the past week. Some of them good, some of them bad. Mainly stuff in the vein, as you would expect from this show, uh, mainly in the vein of things that we shall call very snarky. Uh, And so some of them will make you go, huh, and some of them will make you go, ha-ha. And that's really the goal for it. So what we'll do is I will kind of give an overview of them here on the show, but you can find all the links, all the transcriptions, like from a broader base on our website at www.snarkyfaith.com. How's that sound? So here we have it. What's good? What's bad from the past week? So first up on the list, we have Martin Shkreli. If anybody knows him, they pretty much hate him or want to punch him in the face. He's the guy also known as the Pharma Bro. Uh, the dude that took over pharmaceutical company, jacked up the prices just to make a bunch of profit. He's super creepy, super smug, and just, yeah, like I had said before, he kind of has one of those faces that just begs to be punched. So I guess for the first one we're having here in the what's good, what's bad, could be, it's good for me, it's probably bad for Martin, uh, but they actually had a video where he was being interviewed, and of all things, somebody pelted him with dog poo in the face. It's a beautiful moment, just kind of makes me smile. So moving on. Next, we have what I would say is pretty beautiful on on many different fronts, uh, where you actually have a comic book artist that has turned Donald Trump's most controversial quotes into comic book covers from comics that we know and we love. And it's as amazing as you would think. Uh, Really just one of those things that I, I personally feel like is just escapism, ways to survive the coming apocalypse of our dear Fuhrer, the Don. And then stepping into the realm of the absurd, because there's only one way to think of the situation as absurd, but there was a guy who apparently had nothing better to do. Uh, His name, well, his YouTuber name is Mr. Beast. And apparently, as we all do, we have dumb ideas from time to time. But no, 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 Mr. B said, my dumb idea needs to be transitioned into YouTube gold. And he literally counted to 100,000 on video for no good reason. And it took him 40 hours on YouTube to count that high. So, hey, if any of you are listening to this right now and feeling like you're pretty lazy and that you're wasting time by not being productive enough in January, because January is all about resolutions and being productive and making our life grand, just think of Mr. Beast, a dude who killed 40 hours on camera, simply counting to 100,000. Well done, buddy. We can all do it. We just don't choose to do it because it's a tremendous waste of time. And lastly, I give you 
something that's good, but something that's pretty horrible at the same time for you. Uh, Taco Bell has released the fact that they are going to be rolling out the naked chicken chalupa. That sounds decent enough, right? Taco Bell chicken chalupa, uh-huh. No, no, here's where it goes wrong. Uh, the entire taco shell is made out of fried chicken. Uh, ends up feeling like one of those things that you'd find at a carnival, like where they deep fry Snickers or sticks of butter or things of that realm of whatever you want to call it, of disgustingness. Uh, I guess it's one way for you to somehow just be able to block out the coming apocalypse that happens this Friday called the inauguration. So, yay, go ahead, eat up however many godforsaken calories that is going to be contained in that thing that is absolutely disgusting. So, again, thanks, Taco Bell. Uh, you know how to procure wonderful delights that pretty much only make sense to potheads late at night. Well done. Well done. Because this somehow topped your Cheeto Chalupa and your Dorito Taco. I didn't think you could top it, but you proved me wrong once again. Next. So the last two items on our list of what's good, bad for this week. Uh, the first one of those two comes from Martin E. Marty, uh, who writes a article called The Metaphysical Moment. And it really began to tap into something that I, I think is something that I found very interesting lately. So if any of you out there have been watching, let's see, HBO's Westworld or Netflix's OA, both of which are quite interesting. But what, what Martin here is getting out is that we're hitting kind of this pop culture moment, this pop culture metaphysical moment, uh, where we're beginning to look at these weird uh, interchanges between what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to have knowledge? What does it mean to be a part of some sort of a faith community? And if you haven't seen either of those, uh, one of those that I would recommend more than the other. I mean, I enjoyed Westworld, and I'm really still curious what's going to happen next. Like, watching Westworld, I kind of had that feeling the entire time through the series. Like, this is really interesting. I'm really enjoying this. There's not a whole lot for me to hook my claws into as I'm watching this, but I just kept waiting for something more to happen. And every episode kind of left you this, I'm waiting for something more to happen. Uh, of those two, the first one I'd mentioned was OA, which is over on Netflix that my wife and I totally uh, binge-watched through. I'm not even sure what the past tense of binged-watched. Maybe that is. Um, but OA, it is, it is a fascinating ambiguous, mysterious bit of television that is going out there that that I was engaged with the entire time. There was larger questions of the afterlife, larger questions of existence and connection, and what does it mean to be part of a community? Uh, I found the show quite beautiful and was left with the cliffhanger at the end of it going, oh my gosh, when is season two going to happen? Is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? It can't happen soon enough. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed Martin's article, too, on that, which I think that you will find really interesting because I, I think he's tapping into something that, that we're, we're hitting this weird moment where, where for the longest time in our culture, there was science, there was religion, and, you know, never the two shall meet. And they, the, those two, science and religion, have all oftentimes seemed to be like enemies of one another. 
Uh, but I think through the realms of story and storytelling in miniseries and TV, uh, we're beginning to see these larger questions that are being asked that, honestly, I wish were being asked uh, in faith communities that I wish were being asked within churches but are not. And Martin's article begins to kind of scratch the surface of just something that, that I don't know, I kind of felt that's been going on, that, that maybe science and religion are not mutually exclusive. Maybe they can be something that informs one another. And this, this divide that we've drawn uh, needs to be erased so that voices from both sides can begin to talk and to listen and to learn from one another. And on that, uh, my last item for, for our What's Good, What's Bad of the Week is from none other than Russell Brand. I know, I know, some of you love him, some of you hate him. It seems like more people out there hate him, but I will tell you this, that dude can ask some interesting questions here and there when he's not being overtly crass. And he published a, an article this week, and it really, not an article, he published a video this week uh, of him talking through what led us to where we are at here right now, to where somehow to most of the country where Trump made sense, or across the pond over in England where Brexit made sense. And so instead of him attacking where we're at, which, hey, I do it, <laughs> many of us do it, I, I, I call it a coping mechanism. It's the only way I survive by being snarky and attacking these things. But, but, but what I love that Brand does in this video that you can find on our website is that he begins just to ask the deeper questions of what brought us here and why do those two huge decisions that impact each of our nations that will impact many more than just our two nations, you know, why were we at a place where this somehow made sense to a lot of people, where these options made too much sense? And, and I think his voice is one that we need to, to listen to to hold on to and to kind of wrestle through. So I would just go ahead and tell you it is definitely worth a listen. You should hop on over there. And and that brings us to the end of this segment. Uh, I would love it if you guys see stuff that's good and bad, interesting and aha type moments, if you can send them to us and we can in include them on the show, include them on the website. Uh, you can reach us at questions at snarkyfaith.com or just interact with us on Facebook and Twitter. And, uh, and now, we're going to move on from there. So I'd mentioned this earlier as we began our show. Uh, the first talking points that we're going to kind of delve into for this show segment is the impending doom of the inauguration that happens this Friday. Now, I know that many of us are having a hard time dealing with this. A lot of there's a lot of protests going on. There is a lot of activity over social media and through the news and it's kind of like a bad dream that is found its way into reality. Cuz oftentimes when we have these bad dreams, we wake up and go, "Oh my gosh, yes. It was only a dream." And we're now at kind of this critical mass moment of going, "Oh my gosh, it was only a dream." Wait, no. It's not. This is our new normal. This is our new reality. We are going to have Donald Trump as president. For how long? We're not sure. Uh, he will probably do that on his own if there's going to be something along the lines of an impeachment pending forward. 
uh, he'll dig his own grave with that one. But, uh, you know, oftentimes I felt like being able to watch Saturday Night Live or different late night comedy hosts is kind of the laughter that is medicine that we need. We, we need to be able to laugh our way through this insane place that we find ourselves in, this moment of history where most certainly, if, if the world lasts uh, years into the future, that I, I believe historians will find great interest in being able to dissect what led to all of these things happening. But what I want to tell you is this. You know, the new buzzword that we have out across uh, the news, across social media, is the fake news that are, that's going on. Uh, it was like last week, I believe, Trump was even declaring that CNN was fake news. Uh, it's become this thing that kind of creeped into our lexicon. But but instead of really just kind of sitting there, I mean, because, uh, you know, those are that's kind of low-hanging fruit, being able to pick through the, the fake news. Uh, what I want us to be able to do is to pick through the real news. Because if, if you watch news, if you pay attention to your, well, to your Facebook feed, if you, if you uh, digest the news online or watch it on TV, you know, one thing that, that I've noticed overwhelmingly over the last while is that we will get caught up in these bizarre news cycles. And, and much like, well, let me pause for this. Does, does anybody remember back in the day when we had Weekly World News? You remember that? You were in the, the checkout line at the grocery store and they would uh, have these ridiculous headlines about Bat Boy being found or Elvis still being alive. Uh, I will tell you that I love those guys because I actually had a... I was taking a speech class in college and we had to come up with a persuasive speech, a speech where we were uh, taking a topic that most people would disagree with and we had to give a speech that would convince our audience otherwise. And me being snarky, even back in my younger days, uh, I decided to take on the fact that I wanted to prove that Elvis was still alive, really just because it, it amused me. And so for my backing sources, I ended up writing them a letter. This is, this is not pre-email, but, uh, but things weren't as online as, as they are nowadays. And so I ended up like literally handwriting an email to the Weekly World News down in Florida. And they were gracious enough. They sent me an entire packet of all of the crazy, insane news that they had curated over the years about Elvis being alive. And long story short... I got an A on the project. I was one of the few persuasive speakers that in that class that was actually able to win over a bunch of people on a topic that was as ridiculous as whether or not Elvis is alive. So my point being, you know, we used to have those, those tabloid-driven news, which we still have today in the checkout lines, and we have them online as well. But it feels like the mainstream media, and I know... I know me saying this makes my skin crawl because I feel like it makes me end up sounding like Sarah Palin. And that is one person you never want to sound like uh, unless you're probably doing drunk karaoke. But one thing I want us to begin to do is, is, is to become very attuned listeners to when we digest news that are coming our way because what ends up happening is i mean I, I can think of this last week i mean half of it was uh the fake news that came out about trump and having russian prostitutes and having them pee on a bed because what else do you do with russian prostitutes besides have them pee on a bed 
And, and, and this thing was given way too much traction. It was given way too much time. And the news continued to run with it because, A, it's absurd, and, B, it gets people's interest. Because it's ridiculous. It could be true, which makes it even more ridiculous, but most likely it's not true. And, and I think that we need to become a people that are discerning listeners, people that aren't sharing crazy crap unless it's in a what's good or what's bad se section on our show. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think that, you know, as we, we move into what it looks like to be a Trump presidency, you know, I think that we need to learn how to listen better. I think that we need to learn how to digest the things that we're talking about and tweeting about and blogging about and, hey, on my own uh, time, what I am yelling on the radio about. I think we need to kind of move back towards what it would be to be reasonable. I know it feels like we are in a time right now where nothing is reasonable and everyone is our enemy, that there is so many crazy people out there, whether they be, hey, if you're a conservative, the liberals are crazy. If you're a liberal, the conservatives are crazy. And we've just moved to a place where we can't even have a reasonable conversation anymore with one another. And so if anything that I mean, if there's anything that is that is good that we can bring out of this insanity that is the Trump presidency, it should be that we need to return towards being people that are thoughtful, people that pause before we answer, people that think about how our words are going to impact others. And in, at the end of the day, people that are worried about the greater good. I know a lot of times we get caught up in the, this, the fact that we want to be able to uh, rant about stuff. I do it. I have a radio show when I do it, so I'm as guilty as anybody. But, but I, I think that in, instead of us ranting on things, I think that we need to learn to be able to pause, to take a deep breath, and then to have a deeper uh, introspection towards how we engage with the world around us. Because really what's happened lately is everything just seems to spiral out of control. New stories spiral out of control. Uh, we get more interested by just the insidious nature of humanity through the news to where the news has become something that is pretty much like the weekly world news used to be. And, and that's not good. Um, when we begin to consume things that turn us on our neighbor, when we begin to consume things that make us worried about the other in, in, in our culture, we, we've brought ourselves to a point where we are not people that are understanding of other people's stories. Uh, we're, we begin to get hyper-judgmental about stuff. We don't give people the benefit of the doubt. And so I think we need to learn how to play nice all over again. And I will tell you, this is not an easy road. And I will tell you that this is going to take time, that it is going to take patience, and it is going to take some sort of a, a fortitude that we have to draw from deep within ourselves in order to take that deep breath and not lash back at the other when they are making crazy allegations or causing crazy names of us. So as we look towards this Trump inauguration, I would hope 
that we can move closer towards sanity and further away from insanity. Because the way things are rolling, things are just going to get more and more crazy if we continue on this path. And I think it brings us to a point where we need to be able to say enough is enough. I want to restore sanity. I want to restore uh, humanity. I want to end up being a good neighbor. I want to end up being a person that is thoughtful, that is kind, that can put a stop to all of this vitriol that keeps rolling around social media, the news, and even within common conversations that we're having with others. So my advice to you moving forward is learn to take a deep breath. Learn to let certain comments just move on. But have the posture that you want to make things better. Look in your community, in your own spheres, how you can change things positively. How can you make a difference? That is the only way that we are going to be able to make any kind of positive change moving forward in the midst of all of this insanity. So moving on to the topic of Christianity's absolute obsession with the nation-state of Israel. And I will begin this conversation with the end of a speech by Susan Michael that is from the International Christian Embassy uh, of Jerusalem. And she ends this prayer breakfast speech um, with these words, and, and I think we can use some of these words to be able to frame the conversation uh, that is surrounding Christianity's obsession with the nation-state of Israel. And she ends it by saying this, to summarize, we stand with Israel and her claim to Jerusalem because we share the same biblical and historical connection. We honor the unique national and spiritual connection that the Jewish people and the Jewish nation have for the city of Jerusalem. We trust Israel to maintain the safety and freedom of worship for everyone throughout Jerusalem. And lastly, we believe that just as you cannot separate Christianity from its Jewish roots, you cannot separate Jerusalem from its Jewish history. It is an eternal spiritual and historical reality. And I'd mentioned this earlier uh, when I was kind of prefacing the whole show, but one, one of these weird things that, I, that I've had within Christianity is this insistence, and I've heard it preached through pulpits, read it in blog posts, uh, seen in social media posts, about this insistence that Christianity support the nation-state of Israel. And, and if you've noticed the fact that I continue to say the word nation-state before Israel— is because I think that we have gotten things oftentimes confused. I think oftentimes in Christianity, we see the children of Israel, we see this kinship that we have towards the children of Israel throughout Scripture, and we say we must continue to protect the children of Israel. And my issue has always come from the fact that I believe that we get mixed up when we begin to look at things through like geopolitical borders and we mix them with spiritual truths that we have grown up with. And 
oftentimes that I see this throughout culture, um, and it's something that I, I like to point out, usually in private with my wife later after I've had interactions with uh, very enthusiastic Christians about things. Um, and, and there's a statement that I continue to say oftentimes is that, you know, I know the words that they're using, but the way that they define those words are not the way that I define those words. I mean, for example, off topic of Israel, like oftentimes that people will begin to talk about the good news of Christianity. Uh, it's a buzzword within these circles. We talk about the good news. We need to give people the good news. And what is the good news that we're giving them? Well, first and foremost is that they're going to hell. I, in my short life that I have had here, which uh, I can say short life because it makes me feel better, but yes, in my almost 40 years of being on this planet, typically good news is not prefaced with bad news. And, and oftentimes when I, when I hear the Christians talk about good news, it ends up being that you're all sinners and you're destined for hell. But the good news is apparently that we had a rageaholic God that somehow Jesus came and lived a sinless life and died in our place on the cross. And so people would say that that's the gospel. You know, the good news is the fact that we all suck, that God has anger issues, but thankfully Jesus came and died for all of us. And that's really the good news. Because the good news is we kind of get a, a, a get-out-of-hell-free card to be able to move forward. And see, to me, starting out with uh, calling people dirt and saying that they're crap and uh, mentioning that God is good, but at the same time he's a rageaholic, um, that doesn't sound to me like good news. And so oftentimes we throw around these terms that, you know, you may use them in one way, I may use them in a different way, but we end up using the same words. Um, I get into this argument a lot of times to where I will say this, that I don't necessarily believe in the institutional church, the way that the church exists now and probably has for a long while. Um, and people say, oh, no, no, you're supposed to. We have to believe in the church. Um, but I think that the word church has gotten messed up too. The church is simply supposed to be a group of people that are believers that live life with a different ethic, that live life in a way that they are here to offer healing to, to those that hurt, that are, that are here to offer wholeness for those that feel broken. But oftentimes when we see church, we see large buildings, we see uh, money flowing in and out of different ministries in ways that do not seem to be about the heat, the teachings of Jesus. And so in that aspect, I feel like we get the words mixed up. And so in this aspect, when we were talking about Israel, I think we get the words mixed up. I think there's a, a spiritual people of God that follow after God. And then I think that there's a nation state that we somehow give a free pass to simply because we like to claim that we are a Christian nation. And so this whole issue of like the American church kind of given a blank check to Israel for whatever they do because we support them because this area that wasn't established until what was it like the late forties, um, that this area somehow holds a spiritual connection 
to us that we must somehow defend it blindly. And yes, I do understand that when we talk about Israel, we talk about Jerusalem, we talk about the these like I guess the summit of holy places for many different religions, whether it be Christianity or Judaism or Islam. And this ends up being a highly debated area. And when you begin to think about the politics uh, of the Middle East, it gets even more and more dicey. But I w- kind of wanted to just throw into this. And, and really, I, I don't have answers. I just have lots of questions. Um, but there was, there was a post that was done recently by Chrissy Thomas. Uh, she is the author of The Thoughtful Pastor. And she was offering her thoughts on the way Christians and Christianity holds on to Israel. And, uh, and I really like some of her words, and I'll read a few of them here. And she begins, like in her article, by giving us a little bit of historical context for all of this. And when we begin to figure out what is our tie, especially within like the, the Christian faith to Israel, you know, it comes from Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and it says this. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your land, your family, and your father's household, for the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And all the families on earth will be blessed because of you. And so we begin to, to, to understand these roots um, come from the Old Testament. And we begin to understand this tie to the descendants of Abraham. And she summarizes her up her article in, in this, and I'll just I'll just read this verbatim because her words are better than my words. And it, it comes from like the, the subtitle of the danger of religious mandates to rule. And she says, as a person of faith, it grieves me to write this. However, anytime some secular rule claims a religious mandate to the rule, that result will always be oppression coupled with evil actions towards those who do not fit that particular religious structure. It doesn't matter whether the religious power is Christian, Islamic, Jewish, Orthodox, or any other faith community. The original Abrahamic covenant springs from the idea that God uniquely chose to bless Abraham. And then Abraham, along with his descendants, passed that blessing on to everyone else. They are blessed to be a blessing. And that part of the covenant must be honored. And so she then goes to ask these questions. So do I support Israel? Of course. Should the U.S.? Of course. Israel is a sovereign nation with rights to exist. But then she counters it with saying this. But should that support mean a blind approval for systematic mistreatment of others? No. Neither Israel nor any other nation gets a buy when it comes to the basic ethics and morality. And no, neither Israel nor any other nation gets a buy when it comes to the basic ethics and morality. And so when I begin to think back just over my upbringing and being around just Christianity, I always had that question of why. You know, I had questions that were, were the children of Israel in the Bible, these spiritual children that followed after God, are they the same things as a nation state that exists now that is embroiled in a ton of nastiness, and nastiness is putting it very lightly, uh, when it comes to the whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict that continues on. 
And so my question for those of faith that begin to walk it out um, really comes in the fact of should we question a lot of these precepts that we have held on to? Should we question about these, these human rights violations that are happening? And does Israel deserve a blank check simply because I believe that we have misunderstood God's blessing onto a group of people? Those are questions. If you guys have other questions, if you have other comments, I would love to hear them. But as our time is running down, I want to move on to our final segment. And lastly, I want to leave us uh, in this show on somewhat of a, of a higher note. And, and, and a higher note that I say in a way that, that I mean that I want something for us to aspire to, to aspire to be something better than where we are at now. I want us to aspire to be a better country. I want us to aspire to be a better people. And, and being a people that, that have values, that have principles, that have a guiding light for what we want to become, for where we want to go, and for what type of future we want to leave for our children. And, and on that note, especially since yesterday was Martin Luther King Day, I want us to remember his sacrifice. I want us to remember his words. I want us to, to not just remember him as a great man who made many sacrifices, who made many strides, uh, towards bringing equality into our nation, but but as a man that had a significant dream, and a dream that was not a fantasy, but a dream that was something that we can strive towards, that we still need to strive towards, about a future that we want to have, a future that we need to have, and. So I'll leave you with this. This is a speech, his famous I Have a Dream speech that was performed in Morehouse College a few years back with a myriad of voices from different backgrounds that sing in, in this beautiful mosaic for the dream that he had. And so I'll leave you with that today because I think it's a beautiful rendition, but I also think that Martin Luther King paints a beautiful picture of the future that we could have and the future that we should have. And there are many things that we are not happy with that are going on in the world today. And I think that those things can lead us to be cynical and bitter. Those things can lead us to entrench ourselves. Those things can lead us to begin to not see the humanity in other people. And with the events that have been going on recently here and abroad, I think that, that we need to continue to dream about a better tomorrow, that we need to continue to dream about a world that we want to see our children raised in. 
a future that that isn't driven by fear and hate, but one where love of each other is the driving force. You know, you're listening to this show, and it's called Snarky Faith, and more often than not, we will continue to push this idea that the ways and teachings of Jesus lead us to supreme change. And those ways led Dr. King on a, way, on a trajectory where he gave his whole self, his whole life to an idea that the future can be better. And so here is that speech. And I will let it close out the show. And we will catch you again next week. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negroes, slaves, who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro was still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on the lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languishing in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. So we have come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring the sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vault of opportunity of this nation. So we have come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off 
or to take the tranquilizing drug of graduation, gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's people. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. There will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright justice emerges. But there is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. They have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. As we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy, with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating, for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No. No, we are not satisfied. And we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not unmindful 
that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day, down in Alabama, with its vicious races, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition, nullification. One day, right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with a new meaning. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring.
And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and snarky faith is only possible through our sponsors. Aqueduct Conference Center was established in 1978 as a peaceful destination for small group meetings, special events, conferences, retreats, and weddings. For more information, go to www.aqueductcc.com. We are also sponsored by Lumen. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be better than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com. 